0: Welcome to Behind the Curtain, where we take a closer look at the issues of the day that you might not hear about from the mainstream media. We talk with people who know what's behind the smokescreen of what they want you to see and what's really going on. People whose expertise gives an inside view of the issues that are important to all of us. I'm your host, Jackie Guzda. Colossal wildfires. Extreme weather. Dying coral reefs, drought, flood, food shortages, species extinction, massive human migration. Our world will be uninhabitable. No, this is not only a movie. It's a report that was just released by the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Control, or the IPCC. This was widely reported by the media last week, and then a few days later why the silence the disinterest considering this doomsday scenario why has the media pushed it aside in favor of stories like kanye west shenanigans at the white house several researchers have noted that the ipcc report does not take into account a decades-long misinformation campaign funded and promoted by the fossil fuel industry Here to pull back the curtain is Brendan DeMille, Executive Director and Managing Editor of DismogBlog.com, which since 2006 has championed the cause of clearing the PR pollution that clouds climate science. Brendan has been a research associate for Robert F. Kennedy Jr., StopGlobalWarming.org, and others. He began his career with the EPA as an environmental justice advocate, returning to Connecticut to work for the Public Interest Research Group, and then as a corporate lobby analyst with the Environmental Working Group. Welcome, Brendan.
1: Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. So you are from Connecticut.
1: I am, indeed. I grew up in Lakeville, which is in the northwest corner. Uh, at the Hoshkiss School.
0: Yay. And I, yes. And you did some work here, didn't you, on the college campuses?
1: I did, yes. I was an organizer at Trinity College mm-hmm. and also UConn-Hartford. Did you ever come
0: here to WestCon?
1: I don't I don't believe I ever did. In fact, I think I'm, that's missing from my Connecticut adventures.
0: Oh, we've got to get that going here. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: So this IPCC report. Could you explain, in terms that we non-scientists could understand, what the IPCC report is warning us about?
1: I can certainly do my best. Um, It is essentially a, a, a call to action of unprecedented urgency for the world's governments to really kick it into high gear if we are to avert, as you mentioned at the top, you know, a a catastrophic situation with global temperatures rising, um, you know, well above uh, the target uh, set up by the Paris Agreement, which was what the, uh, you know, all the nations of the world agreed upon and then the Trump administration pulled the United States out of, which is that we were going to try to limit global warming to two degrees Celsius um, as as an aspirational target. Um, this IPCC report is laying out what the scientific community understands about the implications of us hitting or, or surpassing a one-point-five degree Celsius world, in, in which temperatures rise. Uh, you know, so to, at this point, we're essentially uh, temperatures since the industrial uh, era began have risen about one degree Celsius. So. Uh, they project in this report that the world will hit the 1.5 degree sort of um, target, if you want to call it that, uh, sometime between 2030 and 2050. So really, and not too long from now, 12 years. That's um, not, I mean, yeah,
0: Yeah. I have a credit card that expires in
1: 2030. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Yeah. All
0: right. so, so, but it doesn't sound like a lot of degrees. I mean, I can put my thermostat up five degrees and feel it, but not one or two degrees.
1: Well, the first thing you have to do is convert that Celsius to Fahrenheit. So the, the uh, global community and the scientific community working in Celsius um, would be a, a, a different uh, sort of calculation. So we think about it in Connecticut and the rest of the U.S. as you know, 1.5 doesn't sound like a whole lot, but... Uh, it's it's uh it's in fact you know uh i again i'm i don't have the math right in front of me but that's it's a significance more like you know um uh i'm probably gonna ruin this if i don't do it on a computer but uh uh you know it's several degrees i think the 1.5 would be something like three to four fahrenheit so in other words regardless of whether or not the the number sounds big Mm -hmm. the understanding of the scientific community and, in fact, the fossil fuel industry is that this level of increase in the average global temperature would uh, create a, a catastrophic situation in, in which a lot of, um, you know, increased droughts and wildfires and all the things you mentioned at the top um, grow to the point where they're extreme, causing extreme not only humanitarian crises, but economic crises. Um, you know, people will uh, in low-lying areas be forced to leave. Uh, people in storm ravaged areas will face even more danger as storms grow more intense, as precipitation grows more intense and uh, you know as as the global food um, systems collapse or or, or pushed to the brink of their capacity to provide for the projected population uh, that we'll have in, in this same time period
0: so the ipcc report it was commissioned by the 2015 paris climate agreement uh, so why is the united states leaving that
1: why is a matter of of pure sort of um, partisan political um uh, you know <laughs> it's a sad reality that's been pushed by the fossil fuel industry essentially so The Republican Party, and particularly this president, has chosen to ignore the scientific reality and to pull the United States away from the global community on this issue, which, you know, um, the Paris Agreement was a major accomplishment for the Obama administration and for the world. You know, we saw uh, nations that had been. Um, difficult to get to the table to agree on this. Come together and agree. You know, China and, and other major industrial nations, uh, India and you know the European Union. Everyone came together and said, "Okay, we can act on this. We can try to limit the world to a um, a livable climate if we all band together and essentially launch a World War II era campaign to." Um, spend the money necessary to convert the world away from fossil fuel-based electricity and transportation and agricultural uh, production.
0: Well, previously Trump called climate change a hoax. Right. Uh, But he seems to be softening this week after the report.
1: You know, he had a very uh, interesting interview with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes, in which he did, in fact, walk back that statement and say that he said, I don't think it's a hoax, and I'm not denying climate change. So those were uh, astonishing words, you know, to hear given his past, you know, uh, claims that it was a conspiracy and a hoax and, you know, all the other crazy things he said in the past about it. But to, to have him acknowledging it actually presents an unusual twist in this storyline in which the fossil fuel funded uh, deniers of the science have celebrated the fact that he has ignored this issue largely. And uh, one of the sort of most notorious climate denial think tanks called the Heartland Institute uh, was... Uh, overjoyed at its rec- at a recent convening last year that the president hadn't talked about global warming at all and mm-hmm. that it, it had disappeared from the news. And this was great because that you know as as their president of this uh, think tank funded by the tobacco and fossil fuel industry said, you know this is how you make big issues disappear. Is right by not talking about them
0: well the Heartland so, yeah, right. Institute yeah. has a history of working with the tobacco industry right mm-hmm. yeah
1: that's correct yeah long long-standing um, relationship with Philip Morris and RJ, RJR and uh, the rest of the industry and um, they've long pushed the um, you know outlandish claim that you know nicotine isn't addictive and that cigarette smoking is healthy and uh <laughs> you know. Yeah, they continue to do that to this day, right now they're 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 uh, currently trying to suggest that there's nothing wrong with e-cigarettes and vaping and anything Uh basically that threatens the the tobacco industry's profits.
0: (laughs) Well, didn't they uh, contact the science teachers in the state of Georgia and ask them to present alternative facts to what they were teaching about climate change?
1: They have, in fact, done that not only in Georgia but across the United States. They've, uh, I would say, littered uh, classrooms and, and harassed teachers with their anti-science materials, uh, which are presented as you know, uh, you know, uh, teacher-ready uh, curricula to be taught in schools, um, presenting the benefits of fossil fuels and extolling the, you know, the wonders of of. Uh, coal and oil and gas, and never admitting anything about climate science. And they've actually done that internationally as well. They pushed the same anti-science propaganda to the Canadian uh, School Teachers Association, and, and uh, also they've been active in Europe as well. So,
0: Well, the, how could we possibly have a world where People are smoking and people are using coal for their electricity, but the world is burning up. It doesn't make sense. Short-term financial gain, uh, and we're giving up our future. How do they explain that, or do they not?
1: They don't. They honestly say you know, things that are so upside down as you know, uh, you know, carbon dioxide, CO2 is good for us. CO2 is good for you is one of their sort of <laughs> taglines on their ads, and they they pretend that uh, there's no negative impact at all. Of uh, first of all, they deny that global temperatures are rising, and then they say it would be a good thing if they were mm-hmm. uh, because it would increase agriculture yields and all these other outlandish things that actually are anti scientific and you know not supported by the evidence. So,
0: well, let's talk about economics,
1: mm-hmm.
0: global. Warming is going to cost us and has started already to cost us millions of dollars, has it not?
1: Mm-hmm. I could, I think you could go as you know, you could say trillions of dollars if you factor in the uh, damages from uh, you know the, the climate fueled uh, hurricanes we've just experienced uh, with billions and millions of dollars over every time one of these events happens and and they're you know. Fueled by warmer ocean waters, or uh, you know increased uh, wind speeds and things that are attributable to climate change, you you know you're racking up a serious bill, and that's just in the United States. We saw that with Hurricane Sandy. We saw it with uh, just recently with Florence and Michael, and and. Uh, You know, of course, going back a decade or more to other extreme weather events, as well as the West Coast. You know, I live now in Seattle, Washington, where, you know, the West was essentially on fire (laughs) most of the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, We had, uh, you know, hundreds of fires burning in in Washington and British Columbia and, you know, choking the air, you know, making air quality dangerous. All those things have an impact on our economic health and the ability of people to go to work and of kids to go to school without, you know, suffering damages. And those those costs are real. And as this IPCC report and many other projections uh, make very plain, those are only going to get more expensive every day we delay action.
0: Mm. Well, there's an organization called Americans for Prosperity, mm-hmm. funded by the Koch brothers, uh, who say something fabulous they say we protect the American dream by fighting each day for lower taxes less government regulation and Economic prosperity for all sounds good to me
1: mm, Doesn't it though? Yeah. yeah, so basically co-opted every American pie uh, Value and/or and or catchphrase and turned it to their advantage <laughs> so,
0: Yeah. What's what is in it for them? Is it the philosophy of less government? What what is it? What do you think?
1: with the Koch uh, brothers in particular they have of course an ideological agenda but they also have a very a, a very plain profit motive in that government regulation costs them money and they do not like to pay fines uh, they have paid m- millions and billion probably at this point hundreds of millions of dollars in fines to run their uh, oil uh, and and other fossil fuel based um, refineries and operations. And so they would really rather that government be hampered to the point of of either non-existence or certainly regulatory agencies uh, hampered to the point where they can't be uh, held accountable for the damage they're causing to the environment. And so they have a, a, a real interest and they've taken this over the course of, you know, 40 plus years of seeding the idea that the free market is the only way to protect the environment or protect the American consumer and that anything we do to regulate business is is a bad thing and that, um, you know, they're the real job creators and prosperity producers. When in fact, we know, of course, from evidence and uh, and, and historical fact that regulations actually protect us as consumers and protect our water and our air and our health. And that um, if we let these corporate polluters have their way, we would be you know, suffering far worse environmental catastrophes and public health um, problems than we are.
0: Well, I know a lot of people, nice, intelligent people, who believe that, who believe that the EPA just puts too many regulations on us and uh, the, you know all of these values that the Koch brothers are espousing that are that is the same as their values. So how does somebody like Americans for, for Prosperity or the Heartland Institute, whoever, get the message into the brain of the normal citizen that they're actually pushing good?
1: Yeah, I mean they do that by, as I said, the you know sort of co-opting and repackaging what are essentially fundamental American values of prosperity, of freedom, of liberty, of free choice and you know um, consumer choice. They use all these buzzwords, but they've they've sort of twisted them to mean um, something that that. You know, I don't think our founders would, would take fondly to, and and certainly people paying attention would, would catch on to if they look then at underneath that rhetoric what the Americans for Prosperity platform is attempting to achieve, which is to hamstring any kind of protections for uh, workers, uh, you know, eliminating. What they want to actually do is eliminate protections for workers in the workplace, uh, for uh, children to breathe clean air and have access to to healthy food and water and uh, to essentially um, hamstring regulatory agencies across the United States government and indeed the world. Uh, hmm. they've 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 used the same tactic throughout the world um, in in democracies and republics similar to ours. Um, it, again, using the buzzwords and and rhetoric that sound good to the voter, and make you think that they're talking your language and speaking in your interests when in fact they're doing the opposite.
0: Well, I've seen the commercials and we know that they're going into the schools. Are they mm-hmm. doing any other evil acts
1: to get to us? <laughs> well, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, beyond the schools, um, they have attempted to essentially harass people, um, academics and scientists trying to do research, um, through aggressive campaigns of targeting their, uh, their email, uh, you know, targeting, you know, there was a a big scandal in which a lot of climate scientists had their emails exposed, um, you know, basically a, a hack into a server that exposed a whole bunch of emails, um, that was... Then, of course, cherry-picked and taken out of context to suggest that the IPCC and, the, and this whole UN-led climate uh, system is is somehow a conspiracy to, you know, inject global government. And um, they have uh, continued a, a harassment campaign of, of scientists whenever they speak in public. You know, they, they'll... Um, just parrot these climate denial talking points to mm-hmm. the point of, of um, you know, just muddying the conversation, creating doubt, creating confusion. Uh, and thereby creating delay in political action to address these issues. So, you know there's I could I literally could talk for hours about all of the ways that they do that, but the bottom line is they win if they can create doubt in your in your mind and, and create confusion to the point where you say, I don't know, this doesn't sound like a settled issue, so maybe we aren't ready to act politically on this.
0: Well, we only have 12 years.
1: Well, yes, we we could get started. That would be wonderful to see.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, Just because this is my area, can you talk about them infiltrating the media?
1: Absolutely. So not only have they uh, succeeded in a a decades long war of, uh, you know, making the media into the enemy of the public somehow, um, but also um, sort of kneecapping journalism by creating this uh, system in which, uh, you know, as we've seen across, you know, and, and I wouldn't just put this on the Koch brothers, but they've certainly played a part in creating an alternative media that presents itself as, you know, you might say fair and balanced, to borrow from one uh, network. But, you mean um, Fox? Right. Yes. yes. Or you know, any other of the of the ways that they have created an echo chamber of um, of journalism, you know, that isn't, in fact, journalism. It's masquerading as journalism, but it's, in fact, very much propaganda, serving a, a, a narrow political or, uh, you know, corporate interest. So um, they've definitely been uh, involved in this, and not just the Kochs, but the M- Robert Mercer and his daughter Rebecca Mercer, and the Mercers were, of course, spoken about in this past election uh, with their influence over the Trump White House and their installing of Steve Bannon, who was the head of Breitbart, another you know, popular right wing, um, fake news outlet. Um, so, you know, this is, that's been a big part of the problem, but then they've also, as you, as you may have experienced yourself, attacked journalists and, and, and created a, an antagonistic, um, set of, you know, it it basically undermined all the rules of, uh, of journalism, practice that allowed a politician or a public figure to be questioned by the media fairly and to have those people who are are elected or public figures to answer honestly and to engage in a robust debate that has been at the, you know, the core of our democracy and and republic since, you know, the founders created it.
0: Yeah. So look, if we only have 12 years, what What do we have to do? I mean, I I was looking at the Brookings Institute website, and Mm -hmm. they're saying that we have to take our coal power down 60 to 80 percent by 2030 and our renewable energy up by 100 to 500 percent by 2030. Do you think that with the money these factions have and the push that they are doing that at least in america i can't speak for other countries that we change our ways in that very short time period
1: i think there is a way and i'll tell you the number one best way to do it you reference the amount of money that the fossil fuel industry has and that would be the first source that i would tap uh, for these solutions and you know i, I would posit as many lost laws, uh, lawsuits are uh, attempting to prove right now in courts throughout the u.s and abroad that the fossil fuel industry's profits were uh, were earned uh, illegally and, and unethically. And because they knew, uh, you know, Exxon and Shell and many other companies have been proven, beyond a doubt, that to have known about the damage that their pollution was causing decades ago, and then uh, intentionally misled the public, created, uh, you know, these disinformation campaigns uh, to delay action of which they knew specifically Exxon knew and projected in the early 1980s that we would hit 1.5 between 2030 and 2040. And this IPCC report just, just projected between 2030 and 2050. So Exxon was right about this in 1982. And they continued to profit off of their business model and did nothing. And in fact, didn't do nothing. They actively engaged in confusing people. So I would say, let's seize those illegitimate profits and use it to reinvest in the solutions that we know are viable today, which is you know vastly expanding our renewable energy infrastructure and, and providing electricity across the world for what are already very competitive and in some cases cheaper, Uh, rates than what we're paying for fossil fuels. Certainly if you factor in the impacts that they have on our health and climate system, renewables are by far and away the most logical and and economical choice to, to solve that problem. And then similarly, there are other Ways that we can, if we had the ambition, and we've done this before as a nation, uh, invested massively to, to transition or to, um, you know, shift our economies in ways that uh, can very rapidly change the way that we do business and, and how we run our our lives on a day-to-day basis. Um, we did it in World War II. We've done it, you know, we've done um, remarkable things in short amounts of time when we put our minds to it and we can do that here. And and those profits of the fossil fuel industry would be a great pot to tap to, to really kickstart the process.
0: Well, that's very optimistic of you, but you make a good point. We have done it before in our past. Yeah. Who's responsible for filing suit against those industries?
1: Well, um, somewhat optimistically and very, uh, I would say, inspirationally, um, the most Uh, A high-profile case right now was launched by a bunch of uh, young Americans, uh, uh, a case called Our Children's Trust, uh, which has, uh, you know, I I think a dozen or so young plaintiffs and the, you know, teenagers essentially who launched this lawsuit against the United States government to, um, you know, essentially accuse the government of failing to act to protect their future uh, having known what they know. And then by, by sort of proxy, those same, uh, lawsuits are also targeting the fossil fuel industry for knowing, um, for decades, what, you know, and again, this groups like my uh, organization, DSMOG and others have amassed reams of, of internal company documents that are being used in these lawsuits, um, to show exactly what the industry knew when they knew it. and, and, to the degree to which they were certain of of their impact and there and thereby were responsible for warning um, all of us of what was to come and and uh, they they failed so they should be held accountable. Um, there's also cities and municipalities all over the United States that are launching lawsuits and state governments. Um,
0: yeah, California.
1: California, yes, uh, in Massachusetts and uh, New York. You know, there've been lots of efforts and. I'm increasingly optimistic that some of these lawsuits are going to proceed to the point of, of starting to collect damages and start to move the needle and, and, and prove that this is um, you know, an industry worth holding accountable for what, um, what we can do with, uh, you know, as I said, those illegitimate profits.
0: Yeah. It's going to take, it sounds like, transformational thinking and action on our part.
1: Yes, yeah. it certainly is that. But again, we're a, a nation of innovators and uh, and aggressive um, creators of, of wealth through any means. And we can do this the right way or, or we can continue to turn a blind eye and pay the, pay the price, right. <laughs> as this report makes clear.
0: Brendan, I hope you are correct about all of this. And I want to thank you so much for talking to us.
1: It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jackie.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. This has been Behind the Curtain, a conversation about the issues that affect our lives. Behind the Curtain is produced under the auspices of Western Connecticut State University. Come back and listen. There's a new show at the start and the middle of every month. I'm Jackie Guzda. Talk to you soon.